Hi, this is Jeff Pitts, pastor of the Collective Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. We hope this message helps you to live on purpose for His purposes. Now here's the message. Um, but thank you, Amadeus, for doing that. We're in a, a brand new series called Greatest Hits. Um, I have a vinyl record player that I use sometimes, but I really like vinyl records, so we, we use that imagery. But um, so who, anybody a Taylor Swift fan? Like, but anybody consider themselves a Swifty? Like a, like a hardcore Taylor? Like, here's what I've learned in my house. There is a difference. There's a difference between a Taylor Swift fan and a Swifty. Okay, and let me explain the difference to you. So a Taylor Swift fan can like sing all the words to shake it off, right? Like shake it off, shake it off, right? A Swifty knows like the voice memo at the end of the 1989 album, like how the song started, right? That's what a Swifty knows. Like a Taylor Swift fan like knows like she won a couple awards. A Swifty knows her cat's birthday. Right? So a, a Taylor Swift fan, somebody who just likes the music, may, may listen or download a song, but a Swifty will buy tickets to the show and stand out behind the bus waiting for her to come out to try to meet her. This probably hasn't happened to my house. So there's a difference between someone who just knows the greatest hits and someone who's really a deep fan. And we want to address over the next few weeks, God's greatest hits. And I'm just going to admit it. We shop at Hobby Lobby. Anybody else shop at Hobby Lobby? And, and what I love about Hobby Lobby and the Greens and the people who own that, they love Jesus. And so they will have like these framed verses, right? And they're, they're like the ones that we all like to... If anybody's got one of those really weird ants... Like, she takes it next level. Like, she buys the Hobby Lobby thing, and then she's, like, cross-stitched it into a pillow, right? Like, for I know the plans I have for you. It's like in a pillow sitting on her couch, and, like, you can't sit on that couch because there's plastic over it and that pillow. And so what we want to do over the next several weeks is take God's greatest hits that we're all kind of casual fans of and turn us into Swifties of Scripture, we're going to take a look at five verses that you know or probably know or have heard in your life, and we're going to put them in the context of where they are and tell you the whole story. Here's why. Because we believe in, in this church that Scripture is our standard. It's one thing to know a verse. It's another to know where the verse lands and where it started and the story behind it. And so the next five weeks, we're going to look at God's greatest hits and put them in context so you have some understanding of why that verse is important. And so tonight we're going to talk about the greatest verse of all time. When I was a kid, these uh, you it was just weird. I, Christians are weird. Let's just own that for starters. So when I was a kid, I'd watch a lot of football on Sundays. And in the end zone, somebody always has a sign, right? And in the 80s, I don't know why this was a trend, but someone would always have the sign that said John 3.16. And I'm like six or seven, right? So I'm, but I'm a huge like football, baseball fan. And I, I'm like asking my dad, I'm like, dad, who's John? And why is his number three colon 16? Like, and I don't know, maybe some Christian was just trying to get on TV, trying to be a good witness, but there's always somebody that signed John three 16. I'm like, I don't know who this player is. He's not on the bears. And it was a Bible verse on a poster board sign that somebody was trying to get somebody's attention about. 
And if you've been in church a minute or been around church, you know that this is God's greatest hit. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we love that verse. And it's meaningful, and it's impactful, and every preacher who's ever preached has quoted that verse at some point and been like, y'all need to give your heart to Jesus, for God so loved the world, like that's just what we do. And the, re the problem is none of us know who Jesus is in the conversation with. We don't even know that Jesus is in a conversation. We, we just know that verse. And so what I want to help you understand is that there's this guy named Nicodemus who shows up to talk to Jesus. And in the context of the conversation is where Jesus says these words. So who is Nicodemus? And what is the conversation? Nicodemus is a religious leader. He is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the highest ruling order. He's an older rabbi. He's been teaching a long time. And just before this in John 2, Jesus had performed a bunch of miracles. And Nicodemus goes, I don't know who that guy is, but that's not been going on around here for a long time. And so he shows up to Jesus. And it's interesting because he says in John 3, verse 1 and 2, that he says this. He says, Now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus, check this out, at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. So a couple things. Nicodemus knows or notices Jesus is a rabbi, calls him by rabbi or teacher, but he comes to him at night. That, that, that seems weird, right? Like, my mom used to say nothing good happens after midnight. And it's true. Like, as a parent, I realize that's true. And there's reasons that Nicodemus, who's a, a high ruling member of the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee, and a rabbi sneaks around at night to have a conversation with Jesus. Why do you think it is? He don't want to be seen with Jesus. He, he literally goes, I don't know that, I don't know about this guy. So we're going to have a secret conversation on the side in case it goes squirrely. If it goes sideways, I don't want my name attached to Jesus. And here's why. Because there had been other rabbis and other people who had come along and claimed to be Messiah, and they weren't Messiah. So Nicodemus is a little bit hesitant to go, listen, there's lots of miracles and lots of things going on, but, but I, don't, I don't know that I want to be associated with him yet. So they have this conversation at night in the dark, rabbi to rabbi. And Nicodemus, who Jesus even calls the, the teacher of Israel, which is high praise, they have a conversation about being born again, which is common language in Christianity, but this is the context for where we get that language. And he says, very truly, this is Jesus to Nicodemus, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus gets really confused about this, and he goes, how can one be born if he's already old? How can he go back in his mother's womb and be born again? I don't get it. And Jesus, in this commanding way of conversation, goes right to where Nicodemus lives into the Old Testament. And he says, tells him the story that Nicodemus already knows. He says, when, when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert, and they got really angry with God, and God got really angry with, angry with them, and God sent snakes. 
and the snakes would bite the children of Israel, and they would drop dead. And so they complained to Moses, and so what Moses did is he consulted with God, and then Moses makes his staff out of bronze, and there's a serpent on it, and he would go stand up there with the serpent and the staff, and when they would get bit, and the Israelites would look at the staff, they would be healed. And Nicodemus like, okay, okay, I know that story. And Jesus goes on, and he says, the that, that no matter what, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, verse 14, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. These are the verses, 14 and 15, right before 16. So just as Moses took the staff and lifted it up, so must the Son of Man, referring to himself, be lifted up so that everyone may have eternal life. Verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. So you have to understand that Israel was really about Israel. So Nicodemus, as the highest teacher in Israel, was not really concerned with everybody else. He was concerned about Israel. So this comes into conflict with everything Nicodemus believes, because what I would expect if I was Nicodemus for Jesus to say is, for God so loved Israel that he gave his one only son. Because that's really what, like, we're always about ourselves, are we not? Like, when we think to God, like, like, we try to pray for other people, but really what we're thinking about is, God, what's in it for me? How does this connect to me? And so Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel, is one of the highest teachers in Israel, is blown away by this whole recontextualization of the whole idea of what they're there for, because God's not supposed to love just everybody. He's supposed to just love Israel. And Jesus blows his theology by going, hey, we love the world. Totally shifts the whole conversation. Guess who the world is? All y'alls. Jews and Gentiles and people from far off and near and close and in a distance. And Nicodemus has to reconstruct his whole theology to go, hey, it's not just about me. It's not just about us. You came for all of us? In the middle of this conversation, Nicodemus' entire theology gets reconstructed and dissected. And Jesus was breaking expectations of what they normally had thought. God did not send his son, verse 17, into the world so to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Skipping down to verse 20. For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light so that the deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. Jesus kind of concludes his conversation with Nicodemus that way. That the one who is in God does things in the light, but the one who does them in shame does them in the dark. Interesting enough, their conversation happened in the dark. Interesting enough that Nicodemus, this wise ruler of Israel, did not come to Jesus in the daylight, but in the dark time. 
when it was nighttime, as it sun sets, it was probably after the sun had set, Nicodemus is somewhere with Jesus in the dark having this conversation. And so the question becomes, why is Nicodemus so important? Other than that we get God's greatest hits from this passage, John 3, 16, and that it sets our theology that we are all saved by the Son. It's interesting that you just asked that question. Why is Nicodemus so important? If we fast forward the story of Jesus to the end of his earthly life, and we pick it up at the point of his death, it was a Friday, the day before the Sabbath. Christ was put on a cross on a hill for everyone to see. He was lifted up for everyone to look upon. It just so happened to be in that setting, it was the Passover week. So all of Israel had gathered in Jerusalem. Galgotha, the hill that Christ was crucified on, was raised up just outside of the city so that everyone from a distance could see these three men, two criminals, and Christ being crucified, including a man named Nicodemus, who would have been there serving as a rabbi and teacher in the midst of the Passover. And so I wonder if in that moment, I, I wonder if in the middle of the morning, I, I wonder if sometime during the day, this older rabbi named Nicodemus was walking and looking, and he says, Ah, that, I get it now. I, I understand the Moses conversation now. I, I understand that if we look upon the one who is lifted up, we will all be healed. Uh, uh, the scripture doesn't say he was at the cross, but this is how I know he saw him. Romans, or I'm sorry, John 19, verse 38. After this, the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he went and took the body away. Verse 39. Nicodemus, the man who had previously come to Jesus at night, accompanied Joseph. Nicodemus, the man who previously come to Jesus at night. I wonder... If those words of John 3.20 echoed in his mind that said, the deeds done in dark are different than the deeds done in light. So it's the Passover Friday, which means that by dusk, by dawn, by this time, the Jewish people have to stop everything in Sabbath. So the setting of Nicodemus carrying the myrrh and the aloe and the things to wrap the body, the dead body of Christ, happen in the daytime. I wonder what shifted in Nicodemus from doing the deeds in the dark, having a conversation at night, 
to having the courage to bury his body in the light. He had a lot to lose. He had a lot of social clout. He had a lot of status. He had a lot of position. He had a lot of followers. That to make this move potentially was going to cost him. He had to be willing to risk all of it to do something in the light. I don't know where your life is, but sometimes we, we like to keep our relationship with Jesus in the dark. We, we come to church or we, we, we associate with Christians, but we also have this alternate kind of persona where we want it and nobody can see it. Because to, to follow Jesus, to really take on this relationship with Christ is risky. It's going to cost you something. And the question becomes, what are you willing to risk? That night, Nicodemus was willing to, or that afternoon, Nicodemus was willing to risk everything to do what God had asked him to do or what he felt prompted to do by the Lord, to bury the body of Jesus. What are you willing to risk? With social status, with social clout, with notoriety, are you willing to give up to really accept those words? For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that you may have eternal life. What religiosity, what, what social status, what clout that you carried do you really want to give up? What risk are you willing to take? Are you willing to leave the conversation in the dark to live in the light? I think that's the challenge and that's the context that we find God's greatest hit in. An old rabbi, rabbi named Nicodemus who at the end of his life took the greatest risk of giving up everything to follow Jesus. And tonight, that's the question for you. What are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? Let's close your eyes. Let's close in a prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, that Jesus, you had a conversation with an old rabbi in the dark to teach us about light. God, that, that we might be like Nicodemus and take a risk on our faith. That we would give up something to follow you. We give up something to, to glorify you, to take a risk on you, Christ. So, Lord, whatever you're asking of us tonight, God, whatever you're asking us to give up, to set aside, to risk, to be committed to following you in the daylight, we pray, Lord, that you would speak. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Now go be the collectives.